Welcome to How to Sell an Agency, the podcast sharing real stories of how agencies are built and sold. My name is Matt Bennett. I'm joined today by Carl Heesman. Carl now runs Greycock Consultancy and serves as a business coach, agency mentor and non-exec director. But he got there by building and selling his own agency, Cognito Integrated Marketing. Carl's is very much a story of how to get a sale right. So it's going to be of real interest to anyone who's listening and thinking of selling their own business one day. I won't spoil it by saying anything else now. So here it is in Carl's words. Carl Heesman sharing his experience of how to sell an agency. Hi, Carl, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today and coming to talk about your experience of selling an agency. I'm afraid I'm going to work you doubly hard today because I think your experience comes from two parts. So like all my guests, you have built and successfully sold an agency, which puts you in a pretty select group straight away. But you've also got the added experience. So tell me kind of what you do now and why that's relevant. Well, thanks for inviting me, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. So yes, thanks for having me on. So starting, I guess, starting where I am now, I'm now an agency mentor and business coach, and I help agencies navigate the typically a growth path from uh, where they are now to where wherever they want to be and then hopefully make it a lot quicker simpler and less painful than it would be without my involvement perfect so yeah so as i said i think that's great you've got two perspectives to give today we're probably going to be mostly focused on your own journey but it's going to be nice to have that, that kind of additional angle so maybe we start there so Maybe just introduce us to the agency you built and sold. Okay, well, it started, I'd just come back from working in Singapore where I'd set up an agency on behalf of a company called Tequila, who was bought by TBWA, big ad agency group. And I come back from successfully launching a business in, in Singapore for a year, came back to England and thought off the back of that experience, I actually now know how to set up a, an agency, uh, kind of. Certainly, I'd, I guess a had a chance to have a uh, a bit of a, a rehearsal, dress rehearsal on someone else's expenses at least. So I came back to England, uh, set up my agency in the end of 96, but of course I had no clients because I left them all behind in Singapore and sort of, yeah, spent the first two, three months wondering, you know, how do I actually find my first client? So uh, I called it Cognito Integrated Marketing. As the name suggested, it's, it was an integrated agency combining yeah, all, all forms of uh, marketing communications. And it was also a marketing consultancy at its heart as well. So I'd, done, I'd previously done a marketing degree and thought that I understood kind of marketing theory as well as practice. So that was, the, uh, that was kind of the business at, at its essence at the beginning. And yeah, it probably took me two or three months before I found my first client, which happened yeah. to be an old school teacher of mine who I bumped into in the high street of my old town. And said her husband needed some help, and that was my first paying client. Not the um, the, the most followed biz dev route. <laughs> Whatever works, right? <laughs> exactly. Put me literally bumping into someone in the high street and going, "What are you doing now?" And, yeah, well, I started my own agency. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so not your normal networking event, no, or referral. And of course, I had didn't have enough enough work to justify sort of uh, sitting around doing not a lot, you know, basically doing new business, you know, indefinitely. Until yeah. it succeeded, so I ended up freelancing on and off for I think the first two years while I was kind of establishing the uh, the foundations and, and my reputation and, um, and getting my name out and starting mm-hmm. to do you know starting for that new business to to start to to kind of come in. So were you kind of freelancing under your name and building agency under the agency name at the same time? No, I, I freelance under my cognito name. Okay. That did create a few challenges because uh, I know one agency I was working with, it was called Dynamo in, in Hammersmith. One of the account directors there was very worried that I was going to steal their clients, which I yeah. thought was a bit odd. Bearing in mind, it was Coca-Cola that I was freelancing on. And I, thought, I, don't, I don't really think they're going to join me. Did they jump around much? <laughs> I don't think they're going to leave leave a, 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 an agency of 60-odd people to come and join my one-man band. But uh, you did have a few challenges. That um, having that, but I, I wanted to, you know, build, obviously build under my own my company name, try to start building the the credentials of the of the agency. Yeah, so I successfully kind of went from probably two or three different agency contracts. One of them was my old agency that I'd left before I went to Singapore, and my old client was still there, and uh, they welcomed me back for for three, a three day a week contract for six months, and 
that was useful for paying the bills. So how, give us an idea of the timescale. When, when was it you formed the agency? And I suppose, when did the sale happen as well? How long were you at the helm? So, yeah, set up in end of 96. And yeah, one of my first client, I guess, in the Christmas, but it was, as I said, a small one. It was probably two, three, maybe four, up to four years worth of freelancing whilst I was still you know, establishing the, uh, the agency and getting and winning, winning proper clients. Probably 90, yeah, two years, maybe two, three years later, I actually got my first opportunity to win, to pitch for a blue chip client. And that was an old, uh, old client I used to work with at an old agency that asked specifically for me. Um, and my old boss was kind enough to, to give them my details, which was nice for me. So, um, so I got an opportunity to pitch for Granada, um, which if you're old, old enough, you'll, you'll remember them because they I'm, I'm going to pretend I'm not. <laughs> how's, how's that? Definitely haven't still got the uh, Granada ident music in my head. No, exactly. yeah. Yeah. So as you know, it's one of the top 100 companies in the UK owning motorway services and hotels and obviously the Granada Television and Coronation Street and all those things. So that was my that was my first kind of opportunity. And I, unfortunately, I won that client. And from the moment that went onwards, the business kind of changed. And it, and it started to grow. Um, people who left that agent, that, that the Granada went off to other companies. And, and fortunately, I followed them and, and they took me, they took me with them as well. Um, and they, and that connection introduced me to other media businesses like Playboy and Turner Classic Movies and, uh, and other kind of media businesses became clients over time, um, including NTL, which is now the Virgin Media. Um, and, you know, fast forward, it, it uh, yeah, so from 99, I guess 98, 99, things started to really start to grow. And I took it uh, to a point where I sold it in May, uh, May, 20, um, May 2008. So kind of a 10, 10 years of properly kind of running, a, I would say, a proper agency as opposed to you know, playing, playing a agency. A couple of years of build up and then, yeah. yeah. I would say, by the way, all the best agencies have started in 96. That's, that, was, oh, really? that was the same year as we did. So it was a very different landscape, I think, for anything. I think, you know, just digital being uh, a differentiator in any way. At that point, yeah. but anyway, that's kind of by the by. But so, uh, 10 year, 12 year journey clearly not built with a quick sale in mind. That wasn't, you know, did you have clear goals for what you wanted out of the agency during, during that? During well, that yeah, good question. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I started, I didn't, I didn't start it with any, with the end in mind. I started it because, uh, you know, I was I stopped learning, I think, and thought I knew more than the people I was, uh, that I was working with at the time, and uh, thought actually I know now I now know enough to do my own thing, yeah. um, which is why I uh, kind of I guess jumped into it, thinking you know I'm naively that I kind of knew what to, what I was doing, yeah. but I didn't actually know where this where that journey was going to take me. Had no I you know, no no endpoint in mind. Yeah. But once I'd started that journey, I thought yeah I want to do it as well as I can. It wasn't until I got an opportunity to pitch for Holston Pills Lager when things really started to sort of shake up and, and change. And, and um, yeah, Holston Pills is currently using a hundred-person agency in Richmond, which which we and we were based in Richmond as well. And I was so, so I kind of was very flattered. I got I got on the on the you know on the pitch list um, somehow with you know, through smoke and mirrors and, and my own sort of uh, new business kind of skills of getting in the door. But um, once the uh, the pitch happened, I actually won two pitches, a loyalty program and a an on-trade promotion. Suddenly, I'm thinking, there's no way I can do this on my own anymore. You're spinning lots of plates. Didn't have, I had lots of, maybe 10 freelancers working for me, kind of on a semi-permanent basis. And suddenly, yeah, I had to really work out what what, what, I, you know, what was I going to do with this. Yeah. Um, so I took on um, a sort of junior partner at that point. And um, he he uh, he previously worked on the Budweiser account, so that was helpful. And uh, and knew how to run loyalty programs, which was helpful because I didn't understand how to do that. So um, he uh, he helped me help me win the pitch. And then when when we won it, he said, "Look, can I can I get involved? I want to I want to be part of this." And that's when I think the um, I started to think about you know what do I do next? Where do I take this? And I kind of thought, actually, I'd rather, I consciously thought I'd rather have a smaller piece of a bigger pie than, than 100% of a smaller pie. And I think that's really the, the, uh, the sort of catalyst for change at that point. I would imagine at this point, there's probably a few people listening thinking, wow, 
that's a pretty good client list for what was then a fairly modest agency at that stage. You know, you mentioned your new business skills are getting in the door. Is there anything you would share for people who listen to that? And well, this is what we need. This is the next step for us to get kind of the type of name clients and that those kind of recognition that, that you have. I think a lot of these uh, these things happen by by yeah, there's a bit element of luck. Some of it is just you know just hard work, and uh, I'm a big believer in the harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, and also, you just have to. I, I'm a you know. A bit of a chancer, I suppose, as well. Um, and look, and also, I think when you're on your own business, your your ears are open to opportunities. And, and I used to network and um, and collaborate with other you know, with other other agency or other agency types of you know, businesses. Not not in a, not in a, a true sense of being partners, but yeah, certainly in terms of you know conversations about yeah. what's going on. Anyway, I have to happened to bump into a beer ma- manufacturer, believe it or not. We were talking, and he said, "I've just left um, a meeting at Holston, and I heard on the grapevine that they're reviewing their agencies." And I thought, "Oh, really?" And literally, that's that was the that was the catalyst. And I thought, well, "Do you know what?" And I so I did a bit of homework, and he told me a couple of names there, and I did a good old fashioned uh, letter to to Holston and just said, "Look, we we uh, we're cognito. We've got. Um, you know, I personally have lots of experience working with beer brands, which I had pre- in previous agencies." Yeah. And it was just timing. Timing was right. It landed on the right, the right person's desk at the right time, um, with a bit of you know. And I followed up with some credentials, and we got onto the pitch list. Normally, I wouldn't. You know, they wouldn't have found me or gone looking for me because I wasn't. You know, I was yeah. sort of a, you know, a bigger agency. Well, I'm going to drop a link in the description for what an old-fashioned letter is for yes. uh, <laughs> some of the younger listeners. <laughs> they can they can find that one out later. But yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I think timing is so important. But that isn't just down to luck, is it? I think if you if you are out there enough and having enough conversations, then maths kicks in, and and you're in the place when mm. at the right time more frequently. But it, you have to have the confidence to go after it, still, haven't you? Yeah, you're right, and I think that is the truth. Yeah, there was, there was I guess you know when I was younger, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if this is maybe it's changed, but I did have this kind of uh, self belief. Um, and I wasn't frightened of working, you know, working with bigger, bigger brands because I had worked with bigger, with bigger brands for other agencies. So I had this, I guess, sense of self belief that I could definitely help them. And I think today that was the key. That was the key. Um, and then I had, you know, confidence, I guess, in the balls to think, well, I'm going to guess approach them. Um, yeah. so yeah, so, so self belief and confidence is, is the key. And then if it, if it came down to you know the uh, procurement, looking at my accounts and saying, "Well, what what are you doing? What you know, you're way too small for, to work with us." Then I would have dealt with that when it came. But fortunately, because I kind of gone in and the timing was right, um, and I said the right things, they uh, I went under the radar, I guess, for procurement, and they just accepted me, which was very lucky. And uh, these things happen, and they they, they they they're the catalyst for change and, and growth. That's it. And you are, I guess once you've got a couple of, once it's happened a couple of times, fortuitously, that's then leverage to keep getting brands like that, isn't it? You only need the breaks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think you do need a few breaks and you, you do need a, 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 in order to attract bigger brands, you, it's, it does help to have a bigger brand on your, on your, on your client list already. Now, I think a lot of agency owners use that, um, the experience that they've had in, in previous agencies um, and then try to borrow the um, the case study and say, well, that was mine. Uh, you know, so there's a little bit of uh, uh, smoke and mirrors in in that. But I, it's about how you position it, I guess. But it's very it is it's difficult to get the very your very first bigger bigger brand, bigger client. But once you're there, you do actually have a I guess a, a genuine self belief that you do it for other people, uh, and therefore you could do it for them. And and it, it starts the momentum starts and often continues, um, which it certainly did. For me, because that was the start of a of a journey of, uh, of really quite quick growth. I mean, we were on the, one of the fastest growing agencies in the UK, three years out of five, from two thousand and two to the two thousand and seven, um, and got on the sort of you know, the fastest growing agency kind of lists in in marketing marketing magazine and marketing week, which have all gone now. I think they're grand republic now. But uh, these things were really helpful to again to get to get your name out there um, and get you in this sort of. Um, yes. 
exposure and credibility in one hair, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, sorry. Uh, thank you for indulging my little uh, diversion there. But going back, back back to your story then. So so you uh, you brought a partner into business yeah. um, at that point. So when you did that, did you then start thinking more about how does this journey end because you have someone in and you have the time to think about it or was bringing them in part of that thought process? I, um, yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't, again, I wasn't thinking about the end and uh, I don't have the end in mind, which I think in some ways that would be something I would advise to, if I did it again today, that would be something I would advise it. When you get into bed with a new a business partner, it's kind of agreeing, you know, how does it, how do you actually, where are you going? What, yeah. what, what might, might the end of the journey look like? Now, I think you're so excited about the beginning of the journey that you don't think about that. And I was definitely uh, guilty of that. And the uh, we had so much to think about in terms of new business and trying to get this uh, Holston Pills business off the ground that we were obscured, you know, obscured our, our vision a little bit longer term. But I was very thankfully I was quite clear that we needed a shareholder agreement, um, so I got that put in place, and I, and I definitely recommend anyone does that. Um, and th- within that, we um, I had drag and tag rules on my shares, which again I would also recommend if you're the majority shareholder, that helps um, any. You know, any minority shareholder can't sort of stop you selling, um, which is, I think it became important uh, later on in the day. Um, and also kind of gives you a, a bit of a mechanism of, of how to value and, and sell the shares potentially. So that all helped. So I had done that bit. And at, the, and at that point, when he said, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to join your business, you, you know, I think you've done it. You've got a great business. I want to join it. I said, look, hang on a minute. You just can't walk in after I've been here five years and I'm, the last five years have been hard work. You know, it's you were yes, you were arriving at the time where I've got blue chip clients on the on the list, and you know the, you wouldn't believe the first three years was really quite hard work. So um, so we agreed at that point to value the agency, um, and he bought himself in over the next five years. So that that was helpful. So that was the beginning. I guess in some ways that was the beginning of my of my sale. Um, I had management buy in, and um, and it wasn't probably until he bought himself in after five five years later than that that we were in a sort of situation where I then started thinking about the near the next the exit um yeah. so i'd been in there 10 years at that point he'd been there five and we had a sort of different sort of perspective on 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 i guess on the future and the time so, so what made you was was it the do you think that anniversary that 10 years was kind of part of the trigger to make you look forward or yeah yeah absolutely yeah i'm, I'm i think un, unknown to me at the time uh it did hit me a bit you know it, like a bit of a sort of juggernaut and yeah. uh, it, it didn't help that it coincided with my 40th birthday. So those two anniversaries, like yeah. major milestones, kind of coincided. And and it just stopped me thinking. And I thought, well, what am I doing? Where am I going? And, uh, and where have I been? And I and I realized that you know, tw- when I was in, in, you know, 21, I was living in America working for an ad agency. And when I was 29, uh, almost 10 years after that, I was living in Singapore. And this was like almost another 10 years. So I had these like... Big milestone anniversary. Like your cycle, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unknowingly, I kind of had these ten-year cycles, and then I get, you know, I put a bit of pressure on myself, I guess, to think I've got this is another anniversary. I've got to do something else, got to do something different. And all I thought, all I could think of was, I, I don't want to be doing this in ten years' time. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. And anyone who's run who run their own agency just knows that they don't often have bad, much bandwidth to to consider. Um, their next chapter because they're so immersed in their current chapter they don't know they haven't got time to think about it um, and not many people have, you know, have the indulgence of, of talking to someone about what that might be and exploring those opportunities you just uh, you know when you finish work you kind of you just don't want to be thinking about work again I've seen that quite a lot uh, in conversations with other agency owners you, you think when you know sort of especially through recording these podcasts talking to people you imagine that thoughts turn to a sale when the agency hits certain achievements, you know, where you hit certain, you know, I don't know, financial targets or mm-hmm. certain sizes, whatever. But it seems to be more and more birthdays. It's the anniversaries of time in the business. It's children coming along and, and thinking it's the personal mm-hmm. mindset of the leaders that tends to do it. So it certainly wasn't my case. It was, you know, I think for me, you know, just changes in circumstances made me look at the future differently to what I had in the past. And I, I see that quite a lot. Is that, is that, would you say it's a pattern with the agencies you work with as well? Or are people having much, you know, 
uh, or, or are people hitting a plan? You know, we're going we're gonna to get to this turnover and then the plan is to start looking at buy are, are you working with people? Yeah, I think when you're more um, mindful of what you're doing and what you want, that's um, and and you want some change. Probably that's when I get get I get engaged with agencies. They say, yeah. "Can you help me? Um, you know, get out of the situation where I'm flatlining, or can you prepare me, help me prepare for an exit?" Um, so they are more purposeful um, yeah. and, le- and, le- and less personal. It might have been a something personal might have triggered the company the, 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 the decision to to have a coach, a mentor, a non-exec. Yeah. But they, I think, when in the journeys I'm on with my clients, they tend to be on a on a more purposeful journey rather than having a, a personal kind of mm-hmm. oh I need to I'm bored or um, maybe they a friend you know a friend of theirs has you know, sadly died or yeah. maybe a family member had died or maybe they had a health health scare and they thought I'm going to do something different. So I think that definitely definitely part is part of a lot of business owners' decisions to. To plan an exit because they've had a personal change or something. But uh, the one, the journeys I'm on currently with my agencies tends to be like a, you know, more you know, more driven by uh, goals and ambitions. And I want to, I want an exit in you know, three years' time, and I want to be as as uh, you know as yeah. sexy as possible at that point. Yeah, then we all want to be as sexy as possible in three years' time. Yeah, it's just uh, so um, ten year anniversary for you in 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 the agency. Five years for your partner. Um, how aligned were your goals at that point? Yeah, well, actually, we'd 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 um, we'd had actually a very relatively bumpless journey by that point. I mean, the the biggest bump we had, I think, it was at the beginning when Holston Hills really didn't end up being the, the massive client that we thought it was going to be, and didn't end up spending the money they they they, mm. that they planned, and uh, they ended up pulling the um, the loyalty program, which would have been a huge, huge long uh, long term client. So I ended up uh, you know, taking on the junior partner and actually not having as much work as I thought I would I would have to to feed him, but. Um, you know, I think what it did do is it helped us sort of be, helped me be more disciplined. We ended up having monthly board meetings between the two of us. It helped that he'd um, recently done an MBA, uh, so he had a good strategic mindset. Um, it also helped that he'd been a, a board director of a 150-person agency, which was part of a network agency. So he brought a lot of the discipline from, yeah. um, from that with him. Um, so almost immediately we started making plans for the future. And we started... Um, you know, um, creating goals and um, and just being really disciplined. We also were very clear about the roles and responsibilities that we had, um, and made sure that we weren't doubling up. It, yeah, it, it, we were running a, a much more professional outfit, and that started to, to have uh, an impact uh, on the on the growth of the business. And then, um, yeah, fast forward five years, he's he's still very much excited about the business, and I'm there thinking, what well, um, what's my next chapter? And yeah. that was the that was the point at which things didn't quite go so go so well because uh, you know our monthly board meetings ended up in a conversation where I wanted to say so yeah so what's next what what when's what we're going to do about you know our next chapter which might involve uh, you know either taking on a non exec or preparing for an exit I yeah you know, I just I just I was getting a bit bored and he was like no nah, I don't I don't want a non exec you know what, why would I want a non exec I've done an MBA I know it all I know all the yeah. answers that's what I was like, really. And then, and also, you know, he said, "I'm, you know, I want to take the business to another level," and that was, um, and at that point, the business was turning over around two million, and um, you know, I was, it was, it was a nice size. It was, it was, yeah. we were doing well, but I just thought, you know, it's, it's time for me to do something different. So at that point, we became a little dysfunctional because uh, we ended up not stop having, you know, we stopped having board meetings because he didn't want the conversation about the exit, and I did. Yeah. So how did you get from that, I guess not a stalemate, because no. you were the majority shareholder and you'd put protections in place to make sure that you couldn't be slowed down. But how how did you get from that to, to talking about sales with potential buyers? That's a good question. Well, I think like most agency owners, when you get to a certain size, you, you start getting letters and you know, good old-fashioned letters or phone calls yeah. from M&A, M&A people, uh, business brokers, and I'd had a number of those over, over the years and I always ignored them. And I think you get more when you hit a million turnover. You get you get and more when you hit two million turnover. Yeah, and, uh, and I thought, I'm going to start to have 
some of those conversations. So I'm going to, you know, meet 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 them and see what they what they're looking for. So I started to entertain that, and on what one occasion I took my junior partner to a to a meeting with a with a potential buyer, yeah. and um, and I thought it went really well. Um, and then the the buyer came back to me after the meeting, and uh, and just said he really liked the the agency brand. He loved the client list. He liked the numbers. Uh, he says, this is a, yeah, it's a great agency. And I said, thank you very much. And he said, but there's something not quite right between you and your business partner. And I don't want to be your marriage guidance counselors. And, I was like, oh, and then clearly I had no idea that he was, uh, he, his body language clearly was very negative because yeah. he didn't say anything that I, was, I picked up. So at that point, I realized that I can't really take him to any of these meetings because it's just, he's a spoiler. He's just going to spoil them. So, mm-hmm. so I then started thinking, okay, how do I do, how do I continue this kind of, this journey, I still had an itch and, and I wanted to itch it and then, yeah. scratch it. So, um, so I clearly couldn't have this conversation with him. He didn't want it. And I thought he was obviously going to spoil things if, if I took him. So I decided I needed a coach of some sort and I didn't have anyone like yourself or me on, on my, on my horizon at the time, yes. you know, on my radar, no one, I didn't know anyone who was doing what we're doing now, uh, which is a real shame. But I did find uh, someone who came recommended as, as an executive coach. So executive coaches are obviously very helpful um, and very particularly useful in, in mindsets and uh, you know, and just you know being a sounding board. So I, I ended up engaging with an executive coach for um, eighteen months, and we we basically um, together planned my exit, and that was really helpful. And uh, I did that privately out there without my, my business partner knowing because it, was, it wasn't going to be very helpful. And, one, and those conversations I was also having privately with, M, with M&A and potential buyers. And um, at one point, you know, about a year later, I started, you know, I, got, I, got an, I had an offer. I got an offer from an M&A advisor, um, a guy called Chris Still, who's still, still, still operating now. Um, and uh, he, he basically came with an offer. And I, and I thought this is it. This is exactly what I needed yeah. to to force the conversation. And fortunately, the offer came with a caveat that they knew that my business partner and I was of a similar background. We both came from a client servicing background, um, both kind of marketing strategy people. Yeah, I'd gone from sort of being sort of MD role to to to, to giving it, both of us the same title, which was managing partner. And I yeah. think that that gave him a, a sense of, of sort of shared ownership as well. It made him feel feel more more equal yeah. um yeah so anyway uh the i guess that from a positioning point of view that made the buyer any buyer look at us and go well i don't need two managing partners i just yeah. need one and that was it that was ultimately what they said they said we don't need both of you we just need one of you we would prefer to have the founder because we think the founder has the entrepreneurial spirit but actually the business is is you know is solid and it doesn't need a it doesn't need the entrepreneurial sort of spirit of the founder we, we're happy to have either of you and that was exactly what I needed. And that's what I wanted. So I said to my partners, we've got an offer now. We're going to have to talk about it. And I said, you know, it's going to happen because they don't need both of us. So if you want to leave, you can. But uh, if you want to stay, you can. And he says, it's, the choice is yours. And so force the conversation. Yeah. Do you have a strong, did you have a strong preference at that point between being gone and staying? At the time, I, I just wanted something. I just wanted to change. I wanted to do something different. I wasn't relishing the thought, to be honest, of working for somebody else. But I thought actually it'd be, it would be um, it would be different, and uh, and different was different was good. I like I actually like like change. Um, so and I just thinking a change is because the rest is in my mind. And so, but I I, I preferred I, I preferred to leave and I'd do something completely new because I didn't I didn't know what it was I wanted to do, but I had an, an itch to do something new. So I my preference was to 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 be the one that left. And what what was his reaction at this point? Well, he suddenly, uh, I guess, felt a bit threatened. Um, didn't really want to go, you know, to change. He he he'd actually just liked the business as it was. We had a, a partner agency that was we that we outsourced quite a few, uh, quite a lot of creative work to, um, and you know, he got on really well with them. And and it was also the, the this offer was a massive threat to that partnership because the agency that was looking to buy us. We had that all those services in house, oh, okay. so they they would have immediately. I guess, I guess another, that was another reason why we were attracted because I think they could have saved you know, at least three or four hundred grand's worth of you know of, of supply costs. Yeah. Um, um and, you know, that would have gone straight to them. So it was, it was more, even even more attractive. So yeah, my 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 junior partner went off and had that conversation with our partner, creative partner agency, and just said, look, this is the situation. 
um, what do you think? Um, and between them, they came back with a counter offer and they ma- and then basically matched the other offer. And that gave me an interesting kind of issue where I had two offers. Uh, one of them w- would have been, you know, I took on the, um, the, to the business into the other, other business, or yeah. I could, um, sold to my, um, and, and ended up selling to my junior partner and the creative agency and walked and walked out and walked without any earn out and, uh, sailed into the sunset. And, and that's the, that was the option I decided to take because I just fancied a change. And with words without any earner and walked into the site. Probably created a lot of, I don't know if you could see my face at that moment. <laughs> oh, really? How nice for you. Not jealous. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely know some people I've been talking to will be yeah. uh, grinding their teeth at um, having not got that opportunity. Well, this is, you know, I, I mean, I now know how lucky that was because, you know, as you know, not many. Um, agency owners people businesses get a chance to have uh, a, a, an exit without an earnout because it's all about it's all about relationships about personalities and it's about bedding in in that business into the new into the new company yeah. um, and we know how difficult that is if you don't keep the, the key people yeah. um so i was very lucky but uh, i was it was helpful that my uh, my junior partner had a bit of an ego and thought he could you know cover it also it helped that i'd spent 18 months planning my exit and stepping away from the day to day um, so I, I actually yeah, have my own self to thank for that as well, and, and my and my executive coach kind of helped me that do that. I said, if you're going to leave, you have you can't be an, an integral day an integral day to day person in the business. So I kind of got myself into a position where I was just doing sales, marketing, and finances. Basically, all all of those things could have been, you know, given to somebody else um, ultimately, and um, and that's what 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 we did. So, uh, so I was able to uh, to yeah, to do the deal in May two thousand and eight when the world, you know, imploded the time you know, the time before last, um, and the banks were you know were 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 closing. If you remember yeah, that, I've, my, from my memories of two thousand eight, I can't imagine there was that many sales going on at the latter part of the year anyway. So, yeah, I was probably one of the last ones to sell in the you know, in and and yeah, and the, and the deal was done in May. Um, and that was when the when the rumblings really started to happen in the in the banking sector, and it did you know it did unfortunately it did affect us um, because we we were due to do the deal. I'd arranged to to take the family around um, around Europe in a camper van. The date you know with the we, the, hi, the camper van had been hired. I was all ready to go. Kind of packed, you know, bags were being packed, you know, um, and um, the deal you know, the, the date was arranged to do the to sign the papers. We'd been through. Probably four or five versions of the of the contract where we put you know we toed and froed on a few issues, and then we were ready to do the deal. And the day we did, you know, due to meet the um, the buyers came back and said, NatWest Bank who was was lending the money, basically said, well, we're, they're just holding all and uh, holding reviewing every loan. And I'm like, what? I said, like, what? Yeah, so uh, I went off and I went around Europe anyway. I thought, you know, I'm going, and yeah. that's been. But yeah, I'll be back, and I expect the money to you know, to be there when I get back. So I came back, sort of six weeks later, to do the deal again, um, all ready to go. And they said, yeah, the money is. We're waiting. You know, we're still waiting for the money, but is is, is it imminent? It's imminent. <laughs> and then the day came, and they they again they pulled the plug on the on the on the morning of the meeting where we were supposed to be meeting at the accountants' offices, uh, and I, I was faced you know, faced again with another issue. Went off and we did a fortunately we did another holiday because I was taking the whole of the summer off with my wife and four year old and six year old, and so we went off to Mallorca for a few weeks and they came back again to do the deal again, and it was delayed again, and I didn't get the money until November, and it was a bit sweaty. To be honest, it was a bit it was a bit worrying. But we the money arrived and in the same same amount we you know, there was no no negotiations no it was I just yeah it was just worrying because I thought oh so, so what happened in in that that period between May and November well, you just had to keep going back to business as usual I guess because you were selling for the partner it was slightly different but yeah that that's quite hard to navigate surely just in terms yeah, of your own mindset and- it was an emotional roller coaster to be honest because i was thinking i'm still the, the majority shareholder so if they if they do anything you know that's going to harm the business i'm ultimately responsible yeah so that was a that was a worry and also i'd been cut out of the network by that point so i couldn't access the files so i wasn't quite sure what was going on so on a couple of occasions um, um, after those holidays I, I just popped into the office at nine o'clock yeah. in the morning and just said morning everyone i'm back <laughs> Just to make sure that they knew. What's they, going on? 
Is everyone still here? Yeah, yeah. 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 business. So what's happening? Um, of course, they were very you know, tending to be very pleased to see me, but probably weren't. Um, and um, but also, what kept me? I think one thing that kept me going was I had a part of my con- my agreement was to take. Um, I had a consultancy uh, payment, so mm-hmm. for, uh, for, for a year's worth of consultancy payments, uh, which was equivalent to my previous salary. So I could I could still live comfortably on on that money. But it was it was it was the big check I was waiting for that uh, that you know that uh, you know was the anxiety was over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the consultancy agreement gave them access to to contact me. You know, if anything came you know came up that they thought they wanted to ask me about. So what on the, on that that question of kind of attractiveness to buyers? So obviously your your eventual buyer was your partner. But in terms of the the previous offer that kind of made the conversations happen, what do you think it, it was about your agency that had appeal? I think we we've done. A, really well on our own marketing as i said before we were on the fastest growing agency list um three years in f- out of five so we would have definitely appeared in in, in you know in the you know, in the headlines along with the bigger agencies because it's often as a smaller agency it's often easier to get on the fastest growing list than it is the the biggest agency list you know but the biggest agency list was it was in the next the next you know the next part of the double page spread so so you know there there we are and then there's ogilvy and w you know, other wpp agencies on the same page so it's a great way to get on the same page of those people. So I think that definitely put us in there. And you know, obviously, buyers want fast-growing agencies because they because it can often be a catalyst. If that that fast growth can continue, it could be a growth. It could be a catalyst for growth in the in the agency that it, it, it joins. Um, I think they think you've got some special sort of secret sauce if you if you can grow at you know fifty percent a year, you know year on year for for five years, you must be doing something right. And you know, we'd gone from. Yeah, um, two hundred and fifty to two million in five years. So clearly, we must have done something right to do that. Uh, and also, they wanted obviously they were very attracted by the client list. You know, we worked with uh, at that point. We'd, we were also working with Nivea. Nivea was our our biggest billing client. We did their exper- experiential activity. Um, yeah, NTL was a client. You know, that's a bit or Granada. The, the, the client list was was very was attractive. We were also quite active in going into industry talks and and seminars and um other other sort of networking events so we were sort of i guess on the radar of bigger agencies seeing oh who are these people who are these people coming to, to to attend these industry events so i think just being out again networking we also had a marketing person working or a pr person working for us once one day a week and and she was challenged with getting us uh, at least two relevant articles a month and and successfully did that so for a couple of years, we were our name was getting out there in all the marketing and client side marketing tra- um, trade trade communications and trade press, and I think that again really puts on the on the radar. So where your deal went through kind of back in two thousand eight, I'm guessing I'm hoping it's a little less sensitive to talk about some of the details. So without not asking you to spill any numbers, but in terms of the actual deal, what did it look like? Was it cash equity what kind of period was it paid out over you said there was no earn out which is fantastic but how did how did it how how was the deal actually structured the deal was uh structured in a way that um my junior partner his shares um weren't bought my shares were and so basically my my majority shares were were bought for uh, for cash and my junior partner swapped his shares for uh, equal shares in both uh, Cognito, my agency, and the buying agency, so he he en- en- ended up taking a you know a larger sh- share of our 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 business into t- smaller shares of, of both ours and and the buying agency. So so no money trans you know, changed hands for him, but I, I guess that made it more affordable for the buyer to only buy only buy me out. Yes. So that so that was done um, as a uh, yeah, as a lump sum, which I told you was delayed by yeah. six months. Yeah. It also included a, a year's uh, worth of consultancy fees, um, and I also had one client that expressed very strong interest in in staying with me and not going with the exit, not, not going with the new buyers, and that was my old Granada client. Uh, so it was it was a high profile client, but not not a high billing one at that point, particularly compared to some of the other clients. So I had a nice you know, sort of smaller kind of monthly income from that. So that was also part of the deal. 
Um, and the other part of the deal was um, obviously I took took the free cash out of the out of the bank account, yeah. which uh, was part of the exit, and was able to do that at ten um, percent uh, entrepreneurs relief. Uh, we also agreed that we would we would keep um, working capital in the business for you know, to two months working capital, so mm-hmm. so that the buyers would end up would buy you know, would, would 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 buy a business that was still kind of continuing to to functionally you know, run run functionally well with a with a lump sum in our, in the bank that we left behind. So two basically two months running running costs was left in the business from our bank. So, so in know. terms of uh, listeners making jealousy noises, we can now we we already had. And walked away with that and earn out to lump sum on day one. Well, eventually on day one, when when day one eventually eventually happened. Um, would you? Uh, so e- either either I negotiated badly or you, you did it well. Would you think that's typical in terms of the deals you you see when you're working with your clients? Mm, um, do you know what? I haven't seen a typical deal. There, there are there's there's so many different, but I have seen a typical kind of offer letter from a from an M and A, and they do tend to structure the um the the, the offer and the earn out is that yeah. seems to there seems to be a pattern in the way they do that, but uh, no, the way I did it was not typical at all. You know, I haven't seen anyone else walk away without an earn out since um since then. Uh, so you you have actually ruined a narrative for me because I I feel like everyone thinks that every deal is suitcase for cash and then walk away. And <laughs> I've been spending the last year telling people that's not how it happens. And you've just gone really spoil that because apparently sometimes it does. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think, I think, yeah, the circumstances were relatively uh, unique, but you could definitely create those circumstances again, following my example, if you plan it. So, uh, so I think you do need incre- an incredibly strong number two, which I had. Yeah. And a very motivated and loyal number two who's going to stick around. That's what you need. And also, um, you need to spend a long, you know, a, at least eighteen months, as I did, getting yourself out of the day to day. That so they're the two ingredients that will allow you to have that conversation about not having a buy an earnout. Yes, because it's all about risk. It's all about mitigating risk. The buyer, the buyer, um, you know, wants to uh, wants to tie you in for as long as possible, and the seller wants to get out as quickly as possible. And uh, it's all about mitigating risk. So if you can sh- demonstrate that you know you're not needed, then then that can help. Um, that did actually work with an agency for three and a half years that then ended up selling to McCann's, and um, there was three owners, and one of them, uh, the creative director was very keen to get to not do an earnout and very keen to get to leave quickly. And we managed to negotiate him um, to, to go down to, I think, the three days a week immediately after the deal was done. And then um, he, he was able to leave within one year. And that, that's, that's actually as good as, good as, it, as I've seen so far. Um, with the, and, the, uh, and also he put in a number two creative director for 18 months beforehand. So, so he did, you know, he did. Yeah. Succession planning is is obviously key. So what was so when when you when she came out of the business, um, you had your your proverbial suitcase of cash. What what happened next? Yeah, well, after those two holidays that I, I went on, I was thinking about what to do with the money, and it because because it, it took so long to come. Um, in some ways, it was a it was a good thing uh, because yeah. I was keen to um, to buy a villa in Mallorca. That was one of that was the one thing I had in mind. That was kind of the dream, and of course, you know, the uh, as the recession kicked in and the, the crash kicked in, the, the market crashed on prop for property, and Spain um, took a tumble quicker than England. And Mallorca was uh, obviously not as badly affected as mainland Spain, but it was a badly affected. So, six months later, after the, the after the I left, left the agency and got the actually finally got the money, the world was a very different place. Um, in some ways, it was a good thing I hadn't because I would have perhaps gone out and bought. Uh, a property and then it would have crashed and I'd end up with, with half the value of the property that I had bought you know in the, in in the summer so anyway so I ended up selling my property and buying a, a, another big a bigger property um, which was a renovation property and I managed to pay the mortgage off and that was nice and so yeah that also gave me something to do so uh, yeah, so you know selling selling and buying and selling a property renovating it and then um I was thinking well what else do I do and at the time you know, you could the money it was a strange time to have money because you couldn't stick it in the bank very comfortably because the banks were saying, well, we're only going to guarantee, I think, 50 grand at the time. And I was thinking, this is, it was a really odd time to have money. 
And then I sort of got this light bulb moment where I thought, you know what I could do? I could buy a business, which is currently cheaper than it should be. And I could use my sales and marketing experience to, to help grow it and turn it around. And I, I thought also it would help me kind of close my entrepreneurial circle of, of starting businesses for other people, starting my own selling it. But I never bought one. And uh, I thought, that's a great idea. And then I realized I had no clue about how to go about buying a business. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, where'd, you, where'd you go? Where'd you do that? Yeah. Um, so some, a friend of mine said that he knew someone who you know, was a bit of a serial entrepreneur and bought 20 turnarounds in the last sort of five years or so um, and was putting together a syndicate of investors. So, so that was something I thought, that sounds interesting. Um, just you know, the, you know, it's a classic case of uh, you know, the right, the right place at the right time. And I thought, you know what, I've got some money. He wants some money. Let's do it. And so, with, with relatively little due diligence, I, I put my money in, my money into a pot along with six other investors, and we we went off and uh, started looking to buy businesses. Um, he kind of gave us a bit of a uh, a, a, we, a weekend. Basically, did a weekend in in. in um, Genoa in Spain, where we flew on a private jet to sort of to learn all the lessons about how how to identify you know turn around businesses and come back and, and buy them. So it all sounded very glamorous, and and uh, in hindsight, obviously frivolous as well. But we we uh, met um, on a monthly basis, where as a board as a board of investors, started looking to buy businesses. The other guys had a completely different background to me, um, but we all went off looking to buy businesses in our own circle, and I went off to look at agencies because that's all I knew. So uh, I went off to places like Results International, who are a big M and A provider in, in the agency world, and and started to to look at buying agencies. And off the back of that, I got asked to mentor a couple of agencies. Um, they said, "Oh, you seem to know what you're doing. Can you can you help me?" And and I said, "Well, do you, do you want to pay me for that?" And they went, "Yes." And then that's how I ended up starting this journey by chance. I'm a you know, by, I'm an accidental mentor. Fascinating and good stuff. So if you had um, the benefit of a time machine, where would you jump and what? how, how would you apply the wisdom that you have now to the journey you then went on? What would you, you do different? What I would do differently, I think, would be when I engaged with my junior partner, I would have a slightly different conversation about what the, what the journey look, yeah. look, you know, was going to look like that we were going on. And what the exit or end goal was, I think. I think that would be a, a good you know, that would have been a good exercise to to sort of to try and stay on the same path for lo- for longer. Because obviously, we, I mean, we ended up on different paths at, at the end, which became more difficult. So I think we would definitely, I definitely explore what the end looks like at the beginning, other than when when we got to the end. Um, I think the other one would be something that I instinctively wanted to do, but my junior partner didn't want to do, and that would be to take on a non exec. Um, a mentor uh, at some point on that journey. And for me, it would have been at the 10th anniversary or just before then um, when I knew that I, I there was something I needed to do differently and I wanted to learn something new. And I, I think I instinctively think that a non-exec or mentor could have taught me some some tricks and also would have represented us in, in a way that would have probably added more value to the business. So I think the exit would have been a bigger exit if I'd have had um, the the added uh, knowledge of a, of, a, of a more experienced you know agency owner before me. It always feels so. It's interesting. So I've been asked the same question. I've given really similar answers in terms you? of um, you know uh, of of having a shared understanding with the other shareholders and about getting more help earlier. In fact, yes. getting more help. And it, the second part always feels a bit self-serving because we're both in that business now of we provide that help. But I, what I find fascinating is talking to people who have also sold but aren't doing that, and it's the same those same two pieces of uh, you know things you could change come up over and over again. So mm. if anyone's sitting there listening and going, "Oh, he would say that he's a mentor," yeah. there's two mentors. Go, but genuinely talk to other people who've done it because. I feel like when, when you and I were building our businesses, mentoring wasn't, it never occurred to me. It was not a conversation. You know, there were people I worked with who, in hindsight, I was using to some extent in that way. We went through like a growth accelerator program at one point as well. Chris, if you tune in and listen, who sort of helped us with that. And I saw the benefit, but even then it was like that was finished and it never occurred to me to get ongoing help. And that is definitely something because you waste a lot of energy learning things that other people already know. 
and don't and, you know you? Yeah, there's so many shortcuts on there. If you actually, if only you knew. Yeah, right. Well, it wasn't as popular uh, or as common to have a mentor or or non-exec or a or business coach as there is or executive coach as it is yeah. today. That's absolutely right. And certainly, I, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't know any that were agency specific either. We actually got approached by a, a kind of a non-exec business who, who put generic generic non-execs into into businesses, but you know. I just couldn't see the, the, the as much value having somebody that worked in manufacturing sort of sitting on on our board. Even I'm though, sure there is value, but there's yeah, got to be yeah, there's got to be less. So you know, I had a feeling this was going to happen because I've always found it fascinating every conversation we've had, and I, I knew I'd massively overrun. So there'll be lots of lots of either work to do on editing or just do a long episode, but that's fine. I like to finish on one question mostly because I quite like seeing people's face when I ask it. But would you ever consider starting an agency again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should just end up a laughter and fade out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the short answer is no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I would be tempted to, to, I could be tempted potentially to, to become a shareholder of a, of an agency that's established and I can help to take it and take it to another level. That's that's a different question, yeah. but I think everyone who's uh, who started an agency knows that the first three years it's just tough. It's just hard work, you know, to get your name out there and be known. It's just hard work. And I think you need to be, you know, younger and more foolish than I am to do that and have a sort of ridiculous kind of self-belief and, and lots of energy, ideally no no kids at home, so that you can throw, throw yourself completely into it. it that would be, yeah, it's, it's certainly a lot easier when you're younger and, and, and you don't know what you don't know. And that's naivety is it's kind of helpful because if you, you knew how painful it was, you probably wouldn't do it. But you know, there's obviously some you know some brilliant benefits from running an established and successful business and agency, and a lot of fun on the journey. But it, the first three years is hard work, and I don't want to do that again. <laughs> Carl, you've been an absolute gent. I really appreciate your time and being so candid with me about it as well. It was um, a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really love doing that interview. This still hasn't ended up as the shortest episode, but. I honestly had to cut so much great stuff out stop this ending up having to be serialized. You can learn more about Carl on his website, greycockconsultancy.com. I'll add links to his site and to his LinkedIn profile, as well as my own agency advisory services, show notes, and at howtosellanagency.com. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope that you'll subscribe and tune in to the next one. I'm Matt Bennett. Goodbye.